This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2 and streaming on NFL Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL Plus. Visit NFL.com slash schedule release to learn more. When you were growing up in New York, did you ever imagine that this would happen, that you would reach that pinnacle? Uh, no, I didn't. I, I was always seen as being, I was too thin. You know, I was supposed to be like Will Chamberlain, you know, 300 pounds of man. You know, I, <laughs> I never made it that far, you know. Hi, Brian. Hi, Katie. That was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, one of the NBA's all-time greats. By the way, he's seven foot two and weighs 230 pounds soaking wet, or so we're told. And he is our guest this week. I had the chance to speak with him earlier this month in Los Angeles at the Milken Conference. You and I got to hang out there, Brian. It was really fun and fascinating. And we recorded this interview out of the studio and in front of a live audience. Kareem was absolutely captivating. People were so excited to see him because he does transcend sports, Brian. I think he's become a voice for so many important social issues. You know, I grew up in L.A. in the 80s and 90s, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was a really big deal, even for somebody like me who wasn't a rabid sports fan. He was watching C-SPAN instead of the latest game. Yeah, yeah, I just teed that right up for you, didn't I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Subcommittee hearings were a little more exciting for me than the Lakers. But anyway, we digress. He was a voice on a lot of social justice issues, on a lot of the way that African Americans were being mistreated, uh, particularly during that period. And even as his basketball career ended, his activism really continued. He was a prolific campaigner for Hillary Clinton last year. He's spoken out on criminal justice reform and on Muslim issues, too, because 
famously he converted to Islam as a young man. And so we, we covered all of that, or you covered all of that in your conversation with Kareem. You know, I first got to know him, Brian, when he got involved with Stand Up to Cancer because he was diagnosed with lymphoma and uh, was very generous with his time and support of that organization that I started along with uh, some other crazy women. And uh, he, he was always struck me as being an exceedingly philanthropic and thoughtful individual. We had a wide-ranging conversation about his faith, of course, about his relationship with John Wooden, about race relations today, about Donald Trump, and of course, about basketball, duh. And I wanted to know if he ever gets tired of hearing that people consider him the greatest basketball player of all time. Because it uh, has to do with the game that I love so much, uh, I can't hear that too much. You know, I'm, I'm very <laughs> proud that uh, I kind of somehow worm my way into that uh, conversation. Uh, whether I am or am not the, the greatest ever, at least people wonder about that. And that, that's, uh, I'm pretty proud of that. You have so many highlights as you look back on your career, but when we were in the green room waiting to go on, I asked you if you had a snapshot of one moment in your basketball career, what would that be? Oh, well, for me, that's very easy, uh, especially for the fans here in Los Angeles, uh, beating the Boston Celtics in 1985. (laughs) (laughs) You said people always ask you about that, right? Yeah, they do. I mean, especially here, uh, because it's so much resonance. Katie, at that that point, the Lakers were 0-8 against the Celtics in world championship competition. Uh, Going back uh, maybe uh, to when the Lakers were in Minneapolis. It it just went all the way back. And it was just a a long uh, period of frustration. And the the very season before that, we gave a game away in Boston Garden. We were very, very angry about that. So being able to come back the next year and beat them and uh, win the final game in Game 6 in uh, Boston Garden was incredible. It was a very special moment for the team, for the franchise, for all the folks here in, in Los Angeles, and for me personally. You know, I, I was MVP. Uh, I was able to, to lead my team uh, at its most uh, important time. So, um, yeah. That, you're that, not a real smiley person, but you're smiling when you're telling that story. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great one. You know, you, you always feel good when, you know, you, you get the guy, you're the guy that rides in with the cavalry and, and saves everybody and the pretty girls kiss you and all of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you have written a new book. Uh, it is the, your 12th book, and it's called Coach Wooden and Me, Our 50-Year Friendship on and Off the Court. And you start this book by talking about when you got the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Obama. And I know that uh, he brought up your NCAA, the banning of dunking during your time in college, and he said, when a sport changes its rules to make it harder just for you, you are really good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it must have been very, very cool to get that Presidential Medal of Freedom. Yeah, it was. Especially, With an incredible group of people, right, Yeah, that, that's the thing that got to me. Uh, so many people there that I admired and uh, who had affected my life in many different ways. Uh, uh, Robert De Niro or, or Ellen or uh, Cecily Tyson. Coach Wooden had gotten that same Presidential Medal of Freedom 13 years earlier. Yes. Right? 
And um, I was going to read a passage that, that you wrote early on. You're so prolific. Where do you find all this time to write? I get help. I, I do get help. You uh, do? Well, you're a good writer, though. Yeah, and I, I got a great guy that uh, helps me with my, my research, and uh, he's great. Well, let me read this passage. Um, Coach was an old white Midwesterner with old-fashioned ideals. I was a quiet but cocky black kid from New York City who towered 18 inches over him. He was a devout Christian. I became a devout Muslim. He loved big band music of the swing era. I loved modern jazz. On paper, it's understandable that we would have a good working relationship as coach and player, but nothing on that same paper would even hint that we would have a close friendship that would endure a lifetime. So talk to me about your friendship with Coach Wood and how it developed, what he taught you, and, and tell us a little bit about why he was so universally admired. He was universally admired because he had so much patience with us. He wanted us to be the best we could be. He wanted us to be the best uh, husbands, and fathers we could be. He wanted us to be the best citizens we could be. And he just used basketball as an analogy to teach us about life and about discipline and a whole lot of things that uh, we thought we knew everything about when we got here. I just, I laugh, you know, uh, because I just thought, hey, I'm ready. I should be going into the NBA, but I have to go to college. But I, I wanted to go to college. You know, I'm, I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college. Coach Wooden really explained it to us how important it was, how important learning things were, uh, the values that uh, endure in families and uh, successful teams. Any success that I have uh, is uh, got to be, he's got to take some of the credit for it. Your friendship lasted his entire life, really, after you yeah. got to know him and used to go see him and sometimes just kind of sit yeah, quietly. Yeah, we were both baseball fans, so uh, we talk about a number of things. Um, Coach wouldn't knew a whole lot about uh, things that uh, just astounded me. And some of it I, I didn't find out until very late in the time that I knew him, uh, like some of the stuff that he did for the civil rights movement. It's, it's unbelievable for me. Coach Wooden uh, was involved in getting the NAIA, the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletic uh, Association, that tournament integrated. They invited his team in 1947 to come. He had a very good te uh, team that year. Um, they wanted him to come. He said, yeah, sure. And then they told him all about it. He said, oh, you have a black guy on your team. You can't bring him here. Uh, it's, it's for whites only. Coach Wynn said, you know, we, we played the whole season together. Uh, we're not going to stop that at this point. Thank you very much. We're not coming. And he hung the phone up on the guy, and the team didn't go. Next season, his team did better. And the NAI tournament people called him again uh, with the same conversation, and they got the same reply, and he got ready to hang the phone up, and, but they relented. And uh, Coach's player uh, ended up being the very first black American to, to play in that tournament. Now, I played for Coach Wooden right at the end of the Civil Rights Movement. He never spoke to me about it. <laughs> I didn't find out about it until uh, shortly before he died that uh, he had done that and had been an advocate uh, for black athletes. And, uh, yeah. 
I know that uh, many of your books have been about African-American history. Speaking of that, about black Americans who have had a profound and sometimes overlooked impact on this country. In the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, how do you feel about the state of race relations today? Um, It's disappointing to me to see some things uh, moving backwards. Uh, I, I don't think things can go but so far backwards uh, after President Obama, uh, who did, I thought, such a, a great job. Um, but uh, I'm disappointed to see some of the old things start to try to rear their heads, you know, that uh, so many of our children, I, I know my children, don't feel racial issues like my generation had to deal with them, or especially the generation before me. Um, I, I was born in 1947, and it, it, it keeps getting better, I think, each generation that uh, our children are, are able to say, hey, we're all Americans, we, we come from a, a very many different cultures around the world. Los Angeles County has over, they speak over 100 languages in our uh, schools. I, I found this out, I know people on the LA Unified School District, they, they tell me some of these things, over 100 languages. Um, the, the melting pot of the world is incredibly large, and we can all come here and be Americans. It's, it's an incredible uh, system that we have. And, and yet. And, and, and moving backwards. So that, that, that's bothered me, and uh, I, I hope that uh, it, it's gone far enough and uh, we all stop and think a minute and, and keep it moving forward. You know, it, it, it seems for, far too often we hear about a young uh, black man being killed by police under sometimes questionable circumstances. I was just reading yesterday about that 15-year-old boy in Dallas who uh, was shot by a police officer when the car he was in was backing up. And uh, initially, the police said it was reversing in an aggressive manner. Um, that statement, by the way, was later retracted. But how, how do we stop these heartbreaking incidents from happening? Have you, you know, there's been so much attention on these shootings, Kareem, as you well know. Do you do you see any solution or anything that's happening in departments, say, around the country that gives you hope? Or, you know, every time you hear about a story like this, do you think, why, why isn't more being done to address this problem? Well, I'm encouraged by a few things that, that I see in that uh, uh, attempt to, to try to deal with these issues uh, with the cameras, the, uh, the, the body cameras. Right. And uh, just the fact that, that we can talk about it now and uh, know that it's a problem. For the longest time, people used to deny that it was a problem. And then they, they, have, then they have this thing called the cell phone with cameras on it, right? right. And everything and changed. It, that, that changed a lot of things because uh, people began to understand that it, it really was a problem. Black Americans weren't making these things up uh, just to cover their own innate uh, criminality. Uh, people believed that myth. You know, that, that's a myth. Uh, people would actually believe that. Uh, but now we, we can see that it's, it's just a bias. Um, all criminals deserve to be uh, apprehended and prosecuted, no matter what color they are, no matter, you know, what the crime. That said, uh, we can't be biased in doing that. Uh, you know, either there's probable cause or there isn't, you know. Lots of work, Kareem, as you know, is being done with implicit bias, uh, you know, unconscious bias uh, at police departments all over the country. So do you, do you feel hopeful that 
retraining and i mean some of this is so deeply ingrained right it's that- very it's it's ingrained in the culture of our country some of it goes back to uh um the fugitive slave act which was i believe 1850 uh where 1851 i think okay. i'm kidding i don't know no yeah <laughs> no i think you're right yeah. <laughs> 1850 well, 50 or 51 but um whatever it was American citizens were told that they should apprehend and hold uh, escape property, which actually were people fleeing, uh, being kidnapped and worked to death in the South so that they could make a profit on, on cotton. That that's, was the, the premise, you know. Uh, this is our property, and um, you guys got to help control these people because we can't control them, and they're again, innately wild people because they come from Africa. And uh, it was uh, a real great uh, propaganda job that uh, enabled that that system to to last until uh, people realized that these people were human beings. And um, thank heaven for President Lincoln, um, despite despite what Mr. Trump has to say. Which brings me to my next topic. How do you think he's doing as president? Geez, um, it's real obvious uh, disparity between what we're going through now and um, I, I thought the competence and um, honesty of, of uh, President Obama, it's a dramatic difference. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar right after this. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. And now back to my conversation with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or K-A-J as I call him. (laughs) 
you, you wrote a piece for the Washington Post about what it means to be black during a Trump administration. And here's an excerpt. Injustices were easier to endure when there seemed to be a sustained path to improvement that the country supported. But now we have the what-have-you-got-to-lose non-policy that bulldozes the path to rubble. Specifically, how do you believe that path is being bulldozed, Kareem? Um, just the way that they're trying to uh, return tax dollars to the wealthiest 1% on the backs of people who need money uh, for better educational opportunities. And our roads and airports and train uh, infrastructure, bridges, tunnels, uh, they need to be upheld, uh, taking away from the things that benefit the middle class and give uh, lower-class people jobs. Um, it's, not, it's not a good formula. And uh, I, I don't... Uh, you know, ha- having someone who's uh, a multimillionaire in office who doesn't care or even understand the, uh, the workings of how people make it from the lower classes into the middle class or possibly into the upper class, he doesn't understand how that uh, happens because he was smart enough to you know, inherit $200 million when, he, when he was born. You know? <laughs> I didn't have those kind of smarts, so um, I had to do it the hard way. And, um, most of us have to do it that way. Let's talk about when you converted to Islam nearly 50 years ago. What motivated you to do that, Kareem? I was raised Catholic, and the Catholic Church had a big hand in the slave trade. I I resented that, but I had a strong belief in monotheism, so as a person of African descent, I wanted to practice monotheism in a way that uh, was more compatible with where I was from, and that was Islam. I learned about Islam. I, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. Uh, that really prompted me to want to learn about Islam, and I found it to be something that uh, made sense to me. And uh, I converted uh, when I was about uh, 19 or 20 years old. We've seen hostility toward Muslims, not just in this country, but around the world. What can be done about that, and, and uh, what do you think is the most misunderstood part of Islam. I think the most misunderstood part about Islam is that they feel that uh, we're taught to be violent. The Muslim community uh, during the time of the Prophet were, was attacked, and they learned how to be vigilant, and that's in the Quran, to be vigilant, but to make peace with people and to keep up your end of all peace treaties. That, that's what the Quran tells us. That's what uh, most Muslims uh, used to try to do. And now there's some crazy people that say that... Uh, they are Muslims, and they are barbaric murderers. Some of the things that uh, they've tried to put out there, uh, these ISIS people, it's, it's barbarity. It, they didn't learn that uh, from the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad. It's just, it's like saying that the uh, Christian knights of the Ku Klux Klan represent the teachings of Jesus. Uh, that, that's impossible. This uh, radical jihadism, or whatever they want to call it, um, that's not, that's not compatible with the teachings of Islam, and I, I hope people can get that. Thank you. You know, you, you've spoken out about this. You've written about it extensively. Um, but one of the complaints that, you know, I've heard in various circles is that there aren't enough moderate Muslims speaking out, not just in this country, but around the world. 
against this this fundamentalist uh, interpretation, if you will, of the Quran. Do you wish that more people would speak out against that as a way of really explaining what Islam truly is? Uh, I don't think that voices of moderation are, are heard in the places where these things are, are happening. The places where these things are happening are, are ruled by uh, uh, really bad governance, uh, strong men, kings. Uh, they're very often corrupt. If they have any mineral wealth, uh, there's one group that controls it and controls all the wealth in the country and therefore sets the agenda for everything. And the common person is forgotten in those places. And you have uh, really uh, very wealthy elites that... Uh, they, they don't, it's like a, a whole family of Trumps, you know, like <laughs> thousands of them. It's, it's bad stuff. You know, they <laughs> have a very distorted view of what life is about. What was your reaction when President Trump temporarily banned travel from at first seven and later six predominantly Muslim countries? I was very disappointed. Uh, I, I think he's trying to scapegoat, he's trying to scapegoat one group. And um, I think it's uh, caused some very bad things to start happening. Uh, hate crimes have uh, risen. Uh, we saw what happened in the, the Jewish cemetery in St. Louis, the mosque in Texas. Uh, an imam, I think, in New Jersey was, was murdered. Um, you know, it's, it's getting really more serious uh, acts of violence directed against Muslims or against people who people think are Muslims. Uh, some Sikh people... Those people from India who wear turbans, uh, people, some people think they're Muslims. They're not. Uh, they're, they're getting attacked. It's getting crazy, and um, it, it, it doesn't make sense. And the leader of our country should try to uh, really calm this whole atmosphere down and you know, be rational. There are people we need to fear, but uh, just anybody who looks different, uh, fearing them is, is not, uh, that's, that's not going to get it. Let me ask you about... Um your chronic myeloid, myeloid leukemia. You were diagnosed in 2009. Mm-hmm. Today, you're still in remission, feeling good. Very good, thank you. And uh, you were awarded a double helix medal in 2011 for your work in raising awareness for cancer research. Uh, you've been very helpful to stand up to cancers, and we appreciate that so much, Kareem. Absolutely. Um, so, so how... Thank you. How, how did that diagnosis change you, or your priorities, your perspective? I think it really helped me understand that, uh, how precious my time is. Where Raymond and I talked about this. He said um, the, the angel of death was on vacation in China, going to all the beaches, and now he's driving up and down Wilshire Boulevard in a cab looking for you. Um, yes, things start to, you know, your perspective changes, you know. All of a sudden, uh, hey, you might run up on the end of your days and you want to make sure that you, you do the right things for all the people and all the causes that, that are important to you. you know? So uh, it's really helped me uh, get a lot more done. You are so um, outspoken about a variety of issues. Do you ever regret sort of putting yourself out there in such a way? I know you have two million Twitter followers. I don't even want to read those comments, Kareem. That scares me to death, even the, the idea of that. Um, but I'm sure you get a fair amount of backlash. Uh, I get hate s- mail. Yeah? Yeah. I know you do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> but no, uh, you, hate mail comes in the form of like tweets now. You don't really get anything, right? No, but that that that's uh, actually it's easier for them with with tweet. They don't, they don't have to. Thinking is very hard for these people, and <laughs> you, you limit the number of characters. It, it's, it's easier on them. You know? Do you ever enga- do you ever engage with them? No, no, never. No. no. I really took a, a lot of uh, heart and inspiration from from Mr. Lewis, Mr. John Lewis. I remember watching on the news the time when he led those people across uh, the, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and you know, I, I wept. I, I was like 14 or 15 years old. I, I, I was crying. And the man, is he's not bitter. He's not angry. He, I've, I've heard him speak, and he said, if you don't put your life on the line, you're not committed to nonviolence and uh, progress. And it just, it, it, uh, it makes me smile and makes me realize that they, you only have so much time and uh, you can't worry about how you leave here. You, you got to leave here doing the right thing. That's such, a, that's such a great way to end our conversation, but I have a few more questions real quickly. Um, I wanted to ask you, first of all, you turned 70. You're so skinny. Yeah. Yeah, so, so what up with that? You just, do you have to watch what you eat? Apparently not. I've, I've always been skinny. I know that. Right? But, but I mean, how you, you, how, for someone who's spent so much of his life in top physical uh, shape, how how has it felt to age if you're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Uh, I, I feel that I've done pretty good at it. Um, you're building a swimming pool. Yeah, so I can uh, swim every day. Yeah. Does, yeah, is that something you do regularly, swim? Yeah, it's a family thing. Kareem moved to uh, Orange County, and he, he's building a swimming pool. I asked him if yeah. he saw the Real Housewives there. He said no. No, no, I don't like that. But, Not uh, even at the grocery store? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> My grandmother uh, was from a part, uh, my, my family's from the West Indies. My grandmother's from Trinidad, uh, a part of Trinidad called Grand Rivera. There's, there's no plumbing out there. Uh, she swam in the river uh, to bathe uh, or in the ocean. So swimming has always been a, a big deal. What else do you do to stay in shape? Uh, some yoga, jump rope and stuff. I've tried to keep the pounds off and uh, stay healthy and cherish these days. Uh, I'm on borrowed time now, so... Um, I'm hoping I'm running up a huge debt here. <laughs> um, I, Jim Gray, uh, my friend Jim Gray is here somewhere, and I said, Jim, think of a really good sports question for Kareem, because I'm not super sporty. But um, so this was his question. You came along with Bill Russell, Bill Walton, where big men really mattered. Um, but what do you think about the current stars like Steph Curry and LeBron? It's become a smaller man's game, and the time when giants roam the earth is kind of over. Now, I don't really understand that question, but it sounded good. <laughs> and, and I thought it, I don't know, I kind of, it's very poetic, and he well, just came up with it like that. So it, what do you think of that, he's, Kareem? He's, he's talking about what they call small ball, and it means that... Uh, the three-point shot has changed the game, no, no question. That, that wonderful year of 1985, uh, when we beat the Celtics for the first time, from the very first... 
very first game of the season to the last game of the playoffs, we made 90-odd uh, three-point shots. In the, in the 2015 season, when Golden State won, uh, between the first game of the season and the last game of the playoffs, they made 1,077 three-point shots. Wow. Game has changed. Different game. So, uh, you know, the... You know, putting a, a premium on a, a, a shot like that means that if you have long-distance sharpshooters, uh, they'll be able to score more efficiently because that extra point uh, really changes it. If you can defend those guys and uh, dominate under the glass and not let them get any second shots, you can still dominate the game. So there will always be space on the court for, for very tall guys that can do that. But um, there might be fewer of them, but they'll never be, like, totally gone. Um, they, they won't be able to get rid of us. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. You know, well, I, I love talking to you, Kareem. This was really a privilege for me. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to the Milken Institute for hosting this episode's conversation at their global conference in Los Angeles. It was a fascinating experience. I really appreciated the opportunity to be there. Also to their engineers, by the way, who recorded this. A big thank you to Gianna Palmer for producing the show, to my BFF, Jared O'Connell, for mixing it, and to Nora Ritchie for additional production assistance. Nora, by the way, just got her hair cut. It looks quite fetching. And now do we have to say everybody else is fetching? Social media maven no, no. Allison Bresnik, also fetching. And to Emily Bina, always fetching for her part in producing this show. Mark Phillips, thank you as always for our addictive theme music, at least addictive to the you know, two of us. No, we never met Mark Phillips, so I can't say whether he's fetching or not. But sometime <laughs> we'll have an opportunity to, to see him in person. Meanwhile, Brian Goldsmith and I are executive producers of this. And don't forget, you can email us at comments at currickpodcast.com. You can find me on social media all too often, according to my husband. I'm Katie Couric on Twitter and Instagram, katie.couric on Snapchat. Brian is is Goldsmith B on Twitter. And if you like our show, please rate and review it. It helps more people to find it uh, on Apple Podcasts. And please subscribe as well. We will talk to you next time. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2 and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. 
So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.